and gentlemen, it's BR Football Ranks and we are into the final few episodes of a football season that has given us more drama than the Battle of Winterfell and a race for the thrones of the Premier League, Bundesliga, Primera Liga and Eredivisie still very much in the balance much like the iron one. Across the seven kingdoms of Europe, however, Barcelona, Juventus and PSG have maintained their grip as wardens of Spain, Italy and France respectively. And Barca remain favourites in the great war to come, the Champions League semi-finals. We're writing our own story here at BR Football Ranks. I'm Jack Collins, the prince who was promised, and I'll be your narrator as we traverse the skirmishes across the kingdoms of football and examine the clash of kings to come. With me are my two trusted advisors who'll be commanding the left and right flanks as we wage our own war for your ears on football's most intriguing narratives. To my right, the hand of the prince, a man who has watched the winds of winter settle and is the preeminent expert on the upcoming Feast of Crows. You might know it as transfer season. It's the Lord of Shedding Light, the Warden of the Window, Master of Whisperers, Dean Jones. Hello, Jerk. And to my left, all hail the rank god, Sam of House Tie, the first of his name the unburnt even by instagram comments king of the andals and the rank squad carl of the uefa youth league breaker of player ratings and father of rankings as long as i'm not hand of the king i'm fine because that guy is <laughs> doomed got, right you've got hand of the prince over here you can't be the hand of the king <laughs> onward then to the real dance of dragons this week's hot takes dean your honors yeah i want to talk about david de gea at a time when he's clearly out of form and also his future at Man United seems very uncertain. Now, he hasn't signed a new contract yet at Old Trafford. They've been trying to get him to do it for a long time. Stories about Real Madrid wanting him, PSG wanting him. My hot take is that this will be United's only chance to sell David De Gea and replace him with someone just as good, possibly even better, in Jan Oblak. Mm. Um, you can sell De Gea, probably still get... Close to 90 million for him, I reckon, even though his contract's winding down. That's a lot. And you can then go and trigger, even if it's below that, you can go and trigger Oblak's buyout clause for £104 million. It's a win-win situation for Man United, and I think you would never have thought that would be possible by losing De Gea because you've clearly had the best goalkeeper in the world for a while. Yeah. And you could replace him with someone who is going to really help you out. What does it mean for someone like Thibaut Courtois? Because obviously the main destination that we think of for De Gea is Real Madrid. I'd say it's bad news. (laughs) 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 I think Courtois, everything looks like bad news for Courtois really, doesn't it? Especially shots coming his way. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I think Courtois should probably be thinking what on earth is going to happen to me. Even if they don't sign De Gea, he's probably going to struggle to keep that spot at Real Madrid for much longer. Um, Might have to go and uh, mend a few relationships down at Atletico if that's possible. Or maybe go to PSG or something. Yeah. I want to see some sort of triangle where um, De Gea goes to Real Madrid, Oblak to United and Courtois goes back to Atletico. Not sure it's all possible, but who knows? Yeah. Well, you're an Oblak ultra, Sam. Uh, yes, I am. Um, I actually recently changed my stance on the best goalkeeper in the world. I think it's Marc-Andre Ter Stegen. Mm. But for about two years, up until, well, about two months ago, I thought it was Jan Oblak. So what I'm saying is for two and a half now, three years maybe, I've been adamant that De Gea is not the best goalkeeper in the world. Now that he's out of form, he's definitely not the best goalkeeper <laughs> in the world. So I agree. I see this as the perfect opportunity to sell De Gea, keep a little bit of face and go and get a superior goalkeeper, in my opinion, in Jan Oblak. I think it's all started to align for them. Okay. All right. What's your hot take, Sam? Did you see who won the PFA Young Player of the Year, Jack? 
It was Raheem Sterling. I it was Raheem Sterling. Uh, I'm delighted for Raheem Sterling. He deserves every bit of silverware he gets this season. Phenomenal season. Phenomenal bloke. But he should not be eligible for the Young no. Player of the Year. It's re- even he it, took the mick out of it. <laughs> even he did. So like, the, it's an annual award given to the player. I'm reading the exact specification to the player aged 23 or under at the start of the season who is adjudged to have had the best season in English football. Sorry, but Raheem Sterling is now ending the season at 24 years of age. And we've seen other winners in the past, like James Milner won it at the age of 24 in 2000. Eden Hazard as well. And Ashley Young was 23 in 2009. So it, this has been going on for a while. Players who I just, just wouldn't consider young yeah. be winning the Young Player of the Year. So we need to change it. We don't only, Not only do we need to bring the age bracket down, but we probably need to make it Rookie of the Year and right. set, explain, set something together. Explain what your parameters are. So let's go with, and I am just kind of making this up and I'm open to I'm open to correction let's say max age 21 to start the season because that is generally the youth the under 21 the youth cycle um let's say it needs to be the first major season in their career in the top flight so 15 uh, starting appearances first time they've managed that threshold or 20 maybe yeah that would give us a short list of essentially david brooks or declan rice this season james who, madison who have been or james madison who who have been essentially breakout players Ryan and, and that's what we're looking for isn't it we're looking for the breakout story with a young player we're not looking for because Bernardo Silva was also nominated for the young player of the year Sterling and Bernardo brilliant also nominated for for play like it's just yeah. they, they shouldn't like, first of all yeah. you shouldn't be eligible for both yeah that, that's a point I think is worth making you shouldn't be eligible for both if you're oh, unless you're an 18 year old who ripped it up yeah, I mean, I get that. It used to be exceptional You'd have to be exceptional. But say, say um, okay, 20-year-old, say Mbappe was in the Premier League and had the kind of season he might okay, be capable yeah. of doing yeah. and was the best player in the league, you would have to give it to him. But I take Sam's point. I don't know if I love the name Rookie of the Year in the Premier League. I don't know if that's a bit too Newcomer, American. breakthrough? Yeah, something like that. Breakthrough Player of the Year, I think, would be much better. I think. Yeah. And it would, it would like sum up all those things that Sam talks about. And somebody like Declan Rice, who comes into... Premier League into a team like West Ham, really not much expected of him, to be honest, um, and has the kind of impact he's had on games, on big games against big teams, and played so many matches. Yeah. I think it's, it's sensational. And that those people are the ones that should get a credit for for an award like that, yeah. yeah. Early shout-out, too, for Aaron Wambasaka. I don't believe he made 20 appearances last season, so this would be probably considered his breakout season. Yeah, uh, yeah. And he's been sensational for Palace at right-back. He's been awesome. He would, he'd also make that shortlist as we The problem is, what would you do with this? I mean, this award's been around a long time now. Like, it's not, it's not a new thing. doesn't mean you can't change it. Um, but why... why do you think it's more important now that we change it do you think it's social what, what is it because everyone has their say on social media that suddenly more people are like this is ridiculous I mean it's always been it's been it's, the case it has you're right it's just that every year you get reminded of how ridiculous it is so a, a, sort of mid to late April every year I go <laughs> I go nuts about it I remember when James Milner won the award at age 24 and went what? That is ridiculous. And that was a long time ago. So this has yeah. been bugging me for ages. Yeah. Is there something also in the fact that maybe the age of players breaking through is getting younger? Yeah, yeah. Like, you know, 30 years ago, someone breaking through at 21, 22 would have been considered yeah. a young player breaking through. Whereas now that isn't anymore. 21, 22, you should almost be getting into you've your got, you've peak got f- years. Four, you've got four professional seasons under your belt sometimes at 21. Like, yeah. it just, I've got a list here as well. Like James Ward-Prowse started playing football at 17. Like, first team football. Kai Havertz, Lionel Messi, Cristiano Ronaldo, Kylian Mbappe, Raheem Sterling has got seven 
Is it seven full seasons? Six or seven full seasons? Played a lot. Of I games. think this like, is his eighth full season. He's got 49 caps for England. Yeah. Like, he's not a young player on. anymore. Well, he is, but. How many not. major tournaments has he played? Like, he's got two World Cups. Two, two World Cups. And, yeah. <laughs> he's not a young player. <laughs> so, yeah. I mean, I think that's, that's it. It just needs a rework of the system, is what you're saying there. Right? Uh, yeah, and I'm happy to take on that supervisory role if I am required to, to lead that project. Okay, well, if the PFA are watching, <laughs> Sam is here and you can contact him at STI Football. I think they'll like this. I think they'll like this. I agree. Right, let's go to the last take. And as ever, we put this one to you. A whopping 66% of the vote voted for the crazy five minutes of football that occurred between Leeds United and Aston Villa at the weekend in a game which was crucial in the race to reach the Premier League. For those of you who haven't seen it, one, go and watch it because it's absolutely nuts. But two, let me quickly recap. To set the scene, early in the second half, a clash of knees uh, between a Villa player and a Leeds player and Villa put the ball out of play for the Leeds player to get treatment. Then this in the 71st minute. Villa striker Jonathan Codger goes down with an injury. Leeds look like they're about to kick the ball out of play as the game slows down. Instead, they don't. And they release Mateus Click down the left, who cuts inside past a desperately backtracking Villa defence and slots into the far corner. A mass brawl breaks out. Villa midfielder Connor Hurahan grabs the scorer and is then thrown to the floor by Leeds' Patrick Bamford, who in turn goes down following what seemed at the time like a punch from Anwar El Ghazi. Everyone is fighting on the on the touchlines, on the pitch, it's chaos. After a brief discussion, El Ghazi is sent off. The replays then go to show that he barely touched Bamford, who went down rolling around, clutching his face. Three other players are booked. After a shouting match with Villa assistant manager John Terry, Leeds manager Marcelo Bielsa orders his team to let Villa equalise in the name of fair play. Villa kick off and Albert Adoma runs through the team to score, although the Leeds fans are absolutely up in arms about that. They are furious. And all the Leeds players let him run through, apart from Pontus Janssen, Leeds' centre-back, who takes it into his own hands and tries to make a tackle, which really winds Adoma up. And then Leeds captain Liam Cooper goes and shouts at Janssen for disobeying managerial instructions. The game ends one all, ending Leeds' chances of automatic promotion. Brief summary there. I mean, I, that's as brief as I can make it. It was honestly the most nuts five minutes I've ever seen. Is it for you, Sam, the, the, the maddest five minutes that we've ever seen? Yes, it is. Um, I took suggestions on Twitter just after the game. Give me an example of something crazier than that happening over the course of five minutes in a football match. I got some suggestions, some good, not, some not so good. But I basically came to the conclusion that nothing presented to me was crazier. Just because of the sheer number of consecutive incidents that happened. Everything sparked another thing that happened. And you've got people fighting. I've never seen 22 cards. players having a fight before. I've the only player not involved was Codger because he was still on the floor <laughs> injured. And, and to be fair, obviously, a lot of people say with this, our oh, players always feign injury. Don't always. Codger received five minutes of treatment and then went straight down the tunnel and we haven't seen him since. Yeah. So he, he was injured. Like, yeah, okay, sometimes it happens, but this guy needed some treatment. Um, I don't think I've seen anything crazier. I, immediately what sprung to mind was the Aguero moment when Man City beat QPR in the last minute for the title. Different reasons. Which was absolutely insane as well, but it definitely didn't It didn't register in the same number of consecutive... Inter- I've never seen the domino effect in such full force on a football pitch. I implore anyone who missed it to go and watch it for sure. It's mad. It was mad. Have I mean, I do think I've seen a crazier moment and I've been at a game... That was crazy. Were you behind the goal? And no, I was actually down the side. I was down the touchline, but it was a long time ago. And Were I you was, playing? I was a kid. No, I was. I was young. It was 1995, and I was at Crystal Palace against Man United. And Eric Cantona kung fu kicked somebody in the crowd, and it was. Oh yeah crazy. Like I was. You were there. That match. I was at that match, and oh, I was wow. a kid. Like I was young, and 
I was terrified because the place got so violent. I honestly thought it was going to be a riot at the time. I remember being like terrified, like clinging to my dad. Um, like, what's going to happen? But yeah, Cantona had been in this scrap with a, a Crystal Palace defender called Richard Shaw. They'd been like mouthing off at each other all game. Uh, Shaw clearly wound up Cantona enough a few minutes into the second half that Cantona kicks him on the knee, gets sent off. As he's walking down the touchline, a Crystal Palace fan shouts something at him. Um, not very nice. I think it was about being French. Um, and Cantona just leaps over the barrier, Kung Fu kick style. Doesn't connect very well. Um, probably not as well as he'd like to. But it was chaos. Like, And the fallout from it was huge. Just as big as, probably bigger actually, than what we're seeing the fallout from this Aston Villa Leeds game. So I understand what you're saying about the domino effect. There were so many incidents in that game. But... I'd have to say that 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 Cantona Kung Fu kick was mental. There's one last thing that springs to mind for me, and it's also an incident from a championship promotion race. This time it was in the playoffs, and it was between Leicester and Watford. Mm. Uh, And with two minutes to go, Leicester were winning on away goals, I believe, and they got a penalty to basically secure it. Uh, of that penalty, Anthony Knocker, who obviously now plays for Brighton in the Premier League, um, took the penalty, missed. Uh, Watford got the ball, threw the ball down the end, went right up the other end and scored, securing their own route to Wembley when, you know, they were very much out, down and out 10 seconds. Yeah. If, I mean, if Knocker had blazed the ball into the stands, Leicester, had been in the pre- Leicester would have been in the final. Yeah. And instead, he, you know, he took, took quite a poor penalty, was saved. Um, by Manuel Almunia, you know, formerly of Arsenal, and and look, Watford, and the rest is kind of history. I so think for what... anyone that doesn't know, as well, by the way, on the on the Villa Leeds thing, they could meet again, hey, in the in the playoffs. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's 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 looking likely that it'll be Aston Villa versus West Bromwich Albion, and then it will be Leeds versus uh, Derby or maybe someone else for that last playoff spot. They'll play two legged semi final, and if the if if current form goes, then Leeds will meet Villa at Wembley in about three or four weeks, and it will be the battle of all battles. It will I mean, even bigger than, than Game of Thrones, bigger than Winterfell for sure. I think the neutral is probably just about hoping that for the spectacle, (laughs) if nothing else. Yeah. Right, after the break, we're going to be ranking five big transfers that should happen this summer. Welcome back to BR Football Ranks. Sam, do you want to talk us through your big ranking this week? Yeah, okay. So let's talk about five big summer transfers that that we want to happen, that we think should happen. That that makes sense. That would just make a lot of sense, generally speaking. I'm going to start off with number five. Uh, I'm going to go and go ahead and give Kai Havertz to Liverpool. Congratulations, Liverpool. You've acquired a stunning player here in Sam Ty's carousel of players. (laughs) Um, Liverpool don't have a lot of problems to solve, right? They're on course to finish. If they win the last two games, 97 points in the Premier League. They're in a Champions League semi-final. They reached a Champions League final last year they're good, right? They just don't have that many issues to solve, unlike some of the other teams that we'll come on to. But I do think they could use a body in that midfield rotation. I do think that they are a little bit... I say they're sailing a little bit close to the wind on Mane and Salah's fitness levels and the fact that they can just play every three days. And they've done fine. There's no reason to doubt it, but squad depth wise you always look at Liverpool and think you could do with an extra body so Kai Havertz I think someone that can play as a number 8 as a central midfielder someone that calls his home the number 10 and someone who also has featured on the flank for Bayer Leverkusen so we're talking three different positions I think he's the perfect guy to rotate into that well, rotation, I guess. And he is super talented. This has been a proper breakout season yeah. for Kai Havertz. We mentioned him earlier and how he's been playing for a while, but he's really come to the fore. 14 Bundesliga goals in 30 starts, which is 
just incredible. He is still a teenager. He is so silky smooth on the ball. He's actually quite a strange player, I guess. We've spoken about him before, but he's too tall to play as a playmaker, really. Yeah. But he just kind of makes it work. Um, a bit gangly at times as well. We're still waiting for him to fill out, which is why I think Leverkusen have decided to move him a little bit deeper at times this season and have him play from a deeper spot so that he can use that bulk, so use that height to his uh, to his advantage. But a goal scorer, a creator, and a guy who can play in three different positions... And also someone who was wouldn't who, who wouldn't be able to walk into Liverpool and absolutely demand I should be playing. Yeah. Like they could spend forty million quid on Kai Havertz, and they could they could sit him and they could filter him in quite slowly in the same way they did Fabinho. He doesn't have the clout to say I should be playing over Salah, I should be playing over Mane. And half the battle here is not upsetting this very very nice ecosystem that Liverpool have created with their front three. Yeah. They need a guy who can come in and impact, but they can't upset what they already have, which is near perfect. Mm. I think I'm going to come on to you, Dean, in a second about how feasible a transfer this is. But I want to just ask two questions, Sam. One, you know, we've kind of missed that Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain has basically missed the whole season mm. and is that kind of can play eight, can play wide player in some regards. Mm. And two, Liverpool don't play with a 10. And you mentioned there that Kai Havertz calls the 10 his natural position. And I know that obviously we saw it with Coutinho in there and it can work and you mm. can make that rotation work. But, and we discussed this when Coutinho left, that Liverpool actually looked better balanced without him because they didn't have to mm. shuffle a 10 into the pack. Would you not think that maybe teammate Julian Brandt who's yeah. a little bit more suited to playing wide mm. might be someone of slightly more kind of that would fit the mould a little bit, or a forward who could play nine and wide mm. because there is a lot of players in that eight kind of rotation at the moment of Milner Cater Henderson you know, Fabinho mm. Wijnaldum there's a lot and, and Oxley chamberlain so when, when I put together my little shortlist here, I put Havertz slash Brandt dash <laughs> Liverpool. So you've got me. You've absolutely got me. I also consider Brandt. I think, I think you, could, you could go either way with that one. I think Liverpool could get what they need. Um, Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain returning to the bench and returning to the pitch is, is an awesome story. An absolutely awesome story. I'm so happy for him. But if you're, if you're the Liverpool manager, you've got to be wondering like, what kind of an impact that sort of thing has had. And you've, uh, the, the, the long-term injury he's yeah, had. And you've also got to be thinking... I, like there's a chance they don't win the Premier League and there's a chance that they don't win the Champions League because they've, they've got Barcelona over two legs. Like they're brilliant, but they might not be quite good enough. So you start looking for that luxury player that you mm. need to tip you over the edge. And with Havertz, the fact that he can he can play deeper and move into the ten into the ten role, I think it is the reason I want him to go there because they tried to buy N- Nabil Fakir, who I think oh, I think they would have used him in a very similar position, and I think they tried to do that because they lost Coutinho. They may look very well balanced without Coutinho, but I still think they want the option of having that a player, 10, yeah, almost and, to go to a four two three one. And he, yeah, and like they have played that formation at times this season because they did play Shakiri off the right, Firmino then dropped into the number ten spot, and Salah played up front for about what two months of the season so yeah. they have they have used that formation and it was pretty good you'd have to say so it's not like they don't they don't use that and they couldn't use it because the options are very nice to have okay all right yeah. dean let's talk about feasibility here i mean i think that what's actually happening arsenal have been a club really knocking on the door to, to ask about him i don't think that that that's a, a good fit i don't think arsenal would be the right club for him he doesn't need to go to arsenal he doesn't need to go to arsenal exactly that he, he needs to be lo- looking at a club that could not only develop him in the right way, but where he can actually thrive um, almost immediately. And I yeah. think that Liverpool would be a good fit for that. Juventus, though, 
also looking at him, I believe, and Bayern Munich most strongly have been linked with him. Obviously. Now, he's uh, a Bundesliga talent. So. Yeah, he's German. <laughs> exactly. So Leverkusen have set, have set out their stall. Like, they do not want to sell um, to Bayern for obvious reasons. They don't want him in the same division if they are going to sell him. Um, they also don't want to lose him yet. So I think that any club that does want him is going to have to wait another year because he seems from what I've heard, quite comfortable there and quite happy to stay for another year to help his own development. It might be a case that Liverpool try and tie up a deal that allows him to stay there for another year. Like Cater. They've done it before. And, you know, Klopp, we've, we've seen when he finds somebody that does fit the bill, he waits for him because he knows that there's not many players that are, are ready to fit into his style of football and actually slot into that team when they are ready. Mm. So I think that... Um, it's feasible. I don't, I don't think £40 million is feasible, though. I think it, they're going to be looking for... You're talking more. Yeah. What we probably talking? double that by the time we got, it comes around to it. Purely because... Still pay it. Yeah, I mean, yeah, still pay it. But I, I think that teams now think that, especially an attacking player, is worth pretty much £70 million before you start talking. Like. Well, you say that. Van Dijk moved the goalpost on defenders as well. <laughs> yeah, true. And then exactly. you're talking about, oh, black £104 million. We all just give up, shall we? Yeah. Well, I mean, I guess, I guess that's a release clause. That is, that is yeah. slightly different in some respects than but, someone who you know is being pushed out, I suppose. While I agree, I would say that all black is worth that. Yeah. So, okay. so, so there we are. All yeah. right, let's move on to number four, shall we? Okay, number four, incredibly fun to say, Tongi Ndombele, Lyon, French central midfielder. I think one of several players this summer who could well have his pick of clubs, but needs to be a little bit careful about exactly who he would choose to play for because of what what kind of a player he is. So he is a player who injects dynamism and drive into a midfield. He starts from deep and rumbles forward very reminiscent in some ways of Moussa Dembele, whose names sound really similar. So that's a, a, a bit of a boggle in the mind sometimes. Um, but Ndombele probably more, or definitely more mobile now, more able to deal with that driving way of playing. And he can also thread a beautiful incisive pass at the end of his dribble. So he doesn't just slalom out of pressure and lay it sideways. He slaloms out of pressure, beats another one, and then slips in a runner from behind. He yeah. is a do-it-all number eight box-to-box midfielder. He's a little bit more defensively minded than Dembele as yes, well. Yes, he is. He is, he is. I would never trust him at the base of a midfield no, on his own. So, so let's 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 rule out, for example, Man City Fernandinho replacement, who we'll come to in a little bit. Yeah. But in Dombele, if he can if he can find a top tier side who desperately need a bit of drive and a bit of bite and a bit of energy in their midfield, he's gonna. That's the perfect match for him. And I think I've identified it for you. I think it's Real Madrid. I think, Dean, you've already spoken about the need to perhaps move on from, from one of Kroos or Modric. You settled on Modric in the end. Mm. He's having a very bad season. He is 33 years of age. It's not going to last forever. I can definitely tell you he won't be retaining the Ballon d'Or. So he's definitely... <laughs> that's a freebie. If you yeah. want to put a bet on, that's a freebie yeah. you can so have. He's, 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 uh, he's taking his steps down, sadly. And what a player he has been at the it's top shame, level. But he he, to he's getting there. Point. So I do see Ndombele as someone that Real Madrid could, could, could take and, and revitalise their own midfield with. Yeah, Dean, possible? Well, Man United really need somebody like him and they're definitely interested, but is Ndombele going to go to Man United? I cannot see it. Um, well, that's another question, isn't it? Arsenal might not get Champions League football for Havertz. Yeah. And, and you know, Ndombele might be, it might be his route to, to Champions League football is Leon rather than Man United. <laughs> exactly, there, yeah. so. I mean, Leon are open to selling him from, from what they've said and the, and the president actually said that if he was to pick a club for him to go to, he'd pick Juventus. Um, he'd see that as his, as his next step forward if he was to choose where he was allowed to go and all all offers for him were were on par. Um, PSG also will, will be in the mix um, when yeah. it comes to 
um, the tug of war, if you like, for who gets him. But he's certainly going to be a player that this summer is genuinely spoken about for a transfer. Um, Sam says Man City. I can't see being being the place he ends no. up. It, well, he's not. He's not a six. No. So it wouldn't really make sense for City to sign him. They've got enough eights. They've got enough eights, and they don't and they, use. And they've got, and they've got, big, they've got bigger needs elsewhere. Yeah, I think they've that got, might be the case of Madrid as well. Been picking the set, the team that Sam picks. Like even though we we talk about the fact that that Kroos and Modric for us is almost a doomed partnership now. Right, it's, seems, a, it's a spent force seems, in some regards, yeah, right? I think that's it's it's not too weird, weird to, to say that. that. But yeah, we think that. But I, I just. I don't know if that's where they're going to look straight away in this first transition of, of big transfers to, to Strengthford. I think they'll just look for, for other places. Well, so, I mean, also tying into that is they do have Llorente, um, they have Valverde, they have Ceballos, they have like a number of young players in midfield. My thinking is that they're just going to have to spend some money this summer and Zidane would not have gone back if he had not been, had not have been promised the yeah, war we, chest. We're yeah. going to drop two, three hundred million here because this squad needs surgery and central midfield is one of the three positions or so that they need to do something about. It is, about. but we have to also remember that Pogba is one of the names that he has got at the top of his list. Hazard is the top name, which we've spoken about a lot of times yeah. and Pogba is someone he genuinely wants at Real Madrid. So... You know, and Dombele again would have to wait and see how that deal progresses before mm. having any chance. And they've already got Edo Militao, 60 million True, euros yeah, or yeah, so. Yeah. Already spent. yeah, all right, let's move on to three, shall we? Okay, into three. Uh, Rodri of Atletico Madrid to Manchester City. This is something you've mentioned before. Roll the clip, Jack, roll yeah. the clip. Sam, if they were going to raid Atleti for a defensive midfielder who plays a Fernandinho role, your choice would not be Sam Niguez, would it? It'd be the one that plays in the Fernandinho role for Atletico Madrid. It's Rodri. Now, not necessarily saying that Rodri is, is good enough for that, although he is he is an exceptional player and um, Spain see him as their heir to Busquets and I can see legs in that. It's not just one of those things that people say, like Rodri is very similar to Busquets. May not quite reach that level, but he is that player. So Fernandinho and Busquets, they perform the same role more less Rodri does too Saul Negres is is for me in this instance a, a Gundogan replacement yeah back in March Jack broke the news that Fernandinho ages faster than your average human being um, we were all very very concerned <laughs> about forget, that never forget never forget never forgive uh, what we what he actually meant was that Fernandinho is 33 uh, he turns 34 on May the 4th he's, be with you he's picking up injuries more regularly now than than than, than before so it's time to look at a long-term replacement. Now, Saul Negueth got uh, linked over the international Heavily. break. Yeah, I mean, some people were saying this is on the cards, this is yeah. done. We took a look at that, didn't we? We thought, no, nah, Atletico Madrid have got a midfielder that Man City could take and it would suit. And it, I'd go as far as to say you two mocked that idea of Saul Negueth and he brought up your own alternative when it's going to happen. Yeah, and coincidence. <laughs> Pep's done the Pep thing where he like links himself to a midfielder, makes someone else sign him for over the odds and then, yeah. and then just buys the one he buys wanted the one anyway. Buys the suits the role. <laughs> Yeah, Fantastic. So, yeah, so basically Pep listens to the podcast. He heard me say, uh, actually, Rodri would be perfect for the Fernandinho role. And uh, Dean, any legs? Going ahead, yeah. I mean, it's, it's, they're, they're trying to push ahead with the deal for Rodri. And for, last time I, I spoke to anyone um, around City, it seemed to be the, the most likely transfer um, in that position to go ahead. I mean, they have looked at other options and they will continue to do that in case the deal falls through. But I think you two... 
crack the code yeah, for a, to a yeah. winner. Any listening football chairman and or managers and or <laughs> scouts, we are available. Any freelance bait. I'm really pimping myself out for here. Higher. Yeah, yeah. For hire. PFA I will I, cost you. I can revamp your team, of, uh, your Young Player of the Year award. I can do all of your analysis. It's no problem. And give tick. you nonsense rankings at the end of yeah. every day. Tick, tick, tick that one, mate. I think yeah. uh, um, all good. And we're let's, just going to... So let's, let's, let's just let's qualify Rodri for a second. Yeah. We haven't spoken about him. I think what he's, it's sometimes quite difficult to almost get like will yourself to spend the amount of money it's going to cost to take Rodri... I don't think uh, a lot of City over. fans, by the way, will know a lot about him. No, but I think I think he has enough experience in game time at a big team on at, at a high level and has enough big performances against very good sides in the bank that actually you don't feel that guilty about spending this kind of money on 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 someone like Rodri. What's it going to cost? How much 60, is it going to cost? 60, yeah. 70 million? Yeah. It's a lot of money. Right, okay. And but he's not just the heir to Sergio Busquets in the Spanish national team. He is already one of the best number sixes playing in La Liga, playing in the world. He is strong, he is tall, he's lean, he passes well, he defends well. He's shown an ability to wrestle control of a game and manage its tempo against some of the very best teams already. In many ways, he is the antithesis of Atletico Madrid. It's a very strange fit there, and I'm trying to get him to his rightful home, which is a possession-oriented side where he could sit at the base and dictate. Always charitable, aren't you, Sam? I am indeed. Right, let's get on. <laughs> Number two. Number two, uh, we're going back to Real Madrid. As, as I said, they need surgery. Um, Luka Jovic to Real Madrid, most commonly linked to Barcelona and yep. other teams. I mean, look... Karen Benzema's having the season of his life. 21 goals in La Liga now. Which is crazy no, in a season he's just, when... He's just having a standard season for <laughs> no, Karen Benzema. No, 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 he has no. these seasons every year. He has never been relied on this much and no. he has never stepped forward because he hasn't had to, yeah. right? And that's fine. Question marks over Bale, potentially Isco. Asensio has sadly regressed. I think Real Madrid should buy a striker. I thought they should buy it last year. I think they should continue to do so. The Lewandowski ship has sailed, but Luka Jovic can carry this load. Any coach that has come into contact with this guy will tell you, stone cold killer in the box. And I think a vital part of the Real Madrid recruitment process when it comes to a striker, and it's something that we spoke to Christian Vieri on a couple of weeks ago on the podcast, you've got to have that mentality that you you can be the man. And he spoke about that with Icardi and Inter Milan and the pressure. Jovic is that guy. He has the mental edge to be able to play for a club like Real Madrid and consistently churn out goals, I think, anyway. I think that has to be a crucial part of it. 17 goals in the Bundesliga, eight in the Europa League, and his team are still in it. They're in a semi-final. Left foot, right foot, header, chips the keeper. He's awesome. He's he, brilliant. Yeah. He has every type of finish. He has a very low centre of gravity. Body type looks like Aguero or Luis Suarez. He's not quite as aggressive as Suarez, but he's Aguero-esque mm-hmm. in the way he twists and turns. has that burst, but not necessarily long speed. I think he's awesome. Yeah. And I think... Him and well, Mitrovic, by the way, for the Serbian national team is going to be some combination nice for combo. years to come. I mean, what backs up yeah. your argument, I think, is you know not only all those traits that he's got, but the fact they can't afford to let Barcelona sign him. Yeah, yeah. because he is similar to Suarez, and he and he would fit it fit that bill. You know, when Suarez isn't there, and when he eventually goes on to leave them, <laughs> let's not. Forget, we should point out as well that. Jovic has just signed for Frankfurt permanently after being on there on loan. Yeah, Frankfurt aren't going to want to lose him, especially when they're in the hunt for a Europa League trophy and a Champions and a League Champions sport. League if they sport. get those things, there's no reason he might not start. I mean, I know it's hard to turn down Real Madrid That's and Real the Madrid. Problem. That's the it. biggest problem they've got. You know, there's, there's some teams you just can't turn down. And 
if they are willing to... I mean, let's not get it wrong. They're going to make a lot of money out of this deal. They're selling it for 8 million. Jovic is going to cost you 60 or 70 million euros to get on a permanent deal this yep. summer if you're going to do it. So I'm sure Frankfurt can go out and find another striker that can do a decent job for them with that money. Probably even a couple of players. Um, but yeah, Real Madrid are banging the hunt for Jovic. They are confident that they're going to get him. Um, sources around there say that that is... A priority, as as Sam pointed out at the, the top of the bill there. Um, Benzema, yeah, I mean, he's help. playing great. He's he doing great. Help. But people always write off Benzema, by the way, and don't really appreciate everything he gives you. He's done it for a long, long time now at Real Madrid. He can't do it forever. Um, and th- as they are in transition now under Zidane, they need somebody like Jovic. And I think that they've just got to go all out and just give him the cash. Right. Excellent. That means there's one to go, Sam. Yeah, What's one? numero uno? Can you guess? It's the player I like but haven't mentioned. Jack I'd English. say it's somebody Portuguese who's pensionally at Benfica right now. Would I be correct? Mm, yeah. Every top club this summer will be after Jao Felix, won't they? They will indeed. Pretty much, I'd imagine. Um, we spent a fair amount of time on this podcast serenading him, so don't want to tread too heavily over uh, like well, well-trodden ground, I guess. So very, very quickly, the kid's a joke. Phenomenal player. People have really woken up to that as he has spearheaded Benfica's unlikely title charge and their run to the Europa League quarters. Going to list his strengths in bullet point form for those who haven't seen it. Agile, technically sublime, surprising burst in strength with a frame that slender. Vision out of this world, low-key goal machine as well. So productive, not just a fancy playmaker in space, like continually gets it done. Name me a club that would not take this player this summer. You don't even bother. You can't. No, there isn't one. No, there isn't one. Uh, so in this fantastical exercise of Sam Tai sending players to clubs in <laughs> transfers, they have absolutely no say on. Uh, Joe Felix, you're off to Bayern Munich. Nice. Uh, congratulations, Bayern Munich. You've yep. got an amazing player. Uh, the re- what I could do with him. The regret- yeah, the regrettable truth about Bayern is that is that they don't have any, there's no fear factor for yeah. Bayern anymore in that in those forward ranks. Lewandowski has had a, a rough season in front of goal. The two-legged... He's still scored a lot of goals. He's scored... Let's be, let's be his, 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 he's so far behind his XG. Yeah, of course. It's, but, it's kind of ridiculous. Yeah, but that's, that's not necessarily a sign of regression. It's just potentially a sign of bad luck. No, over the course of a season... You tend uh, to... You know, we've seen, okay. we've seen these things even themselves out over certain years. Yeah. I think that Lewandowski will still score a lot of goals next year. I th- I'm, not, look, I'm not writing Lewandowski off, but th- this season he has... Not not quite been himself despite the goal tally and we've seen Robin and Ribéry are either on the way out or ageing they're not what they were for the record Kingsley Coman and Serge Gnabry I'm a huge fan of both of them particularly Coman I love Coman but when you come up against Bayern in the Champions League round of 16 like like Liverpool did and you look at that forward line and you've got Gnabry and Coman Van Dijk's not worried about that he's not not concerned about, about facing those players so they need the very rare injection of quality and youth which is very expensive and very hard to find, but something that Jao Felix offers in spades. So that's where he's going. I think right. I think Bayern would usually rule themselves out of this kind of a deal because it's going to cost a hell of a lot of money. Dina, bring you in in a second on how much. Mm. But they have shown already that they have accepted that they're going to have to spend to catch up with the pack okay. because they've already picked up Lucas Hernandez and Benjamin Pavard. So they've spent the best part of 100 million on two defenders and I think they need to address the attack. I think they've realised they can't just take German players on free contracts anymore. They're going to have to spend some money. How much is it going to cost, Dean? And are they in the front running, the front runners, I suppose? Well, he's got a huge release clause of 120 million euros. Um, but anyone 
that you speak to about this says you will get him for less than that. Like then they're realistic. Like then are probably not going to get 120 million euros from, but that's just setting their stall out as to how valuable this player is. And yeah, you ask for 120 and you get 90, right? Yeah. And I mean, that's still a hell of a lot of money for a player this young. Now, um, interestingly, uh, Benfica played against Frankfurt recently in the Europa League. And the list of scouts that went to that game <laughs> was absolutely ridiculous. No doubt all watching Jovic and Jao Felix, yeah. uh, just to reel a few of them off. And Grimaldo. At, at the, uh, probably, actually, yeah. Uh, Man United, Juventus, Inter Milan, Bayern Munich, Leicester, Barcelona, Chelsea, Bayern, uh, Tottenham, Newcastle. I mean, there's a lot of... <laughs> what are Newcastle and Leicester doing there? They're scouting different players, They might be surely. watching someone else. Yeah. They're, but, looking, they're looking at the reserve goalkeeper. Yeah. <laughs> there were so many scouts at that game, it was ridiculous. But interestingly, there was one club not on the list of scouts that we should bring into the conversation on Jao Felix, and that's Wolverhampton. Hampton Wanderers. Okay. They have had a phenomenal season in the Premier League. We all know that they have quite a few Portuguese players within the ranks. Oh, yeah. um, links with a certain agent who brings in uh, Portuguese players. And you can name him. Can I? Yeah. His name is Jorge Mendes. <laughs> and uh, on the back of that, I've been told absolutely do not rule out Wolves when it comes to signing João Felix. Now, they've been great this season. They intend to get even better. If they ha- have European football next season... Which is very plausible which is at this very point. Let's, plausible, let's make that clear. They're taking that seriously and they're going to really go for it and they want... Uh, there's a good chance that they try and get involved in this conversation. Get Jao Felix. It actually might not be a bad stepping stone for him because he's obviously going to end up at one of the best clubs in the world. Should he be going to one of the best clubs in the world right now? I mean, possibly, yeah. He might be able to crack it straight away at one of the biggest clubs. But if he wants to go somewhere in between, like people like Ruben Neves are doing it right well, now. you look there. at Renato Sanchez, right? You yeah. look at him and the way he signed straight. He made that exact move, in fact, from, from Benfica to Bayern, and yeah. it hasn't worked out. I mean, starting maybe now yeah. to come a little bit more into fruition, but it didn't work out at the time. I knew you'd bring this up. <laughs> so I've got something ready. Go and I don't, I don't want to sound like a, like, a, like a know-it-all here, but when the Renato Sanchez fiesta was, was happening, I was one of the only people that was going... Mm, I'm not sure about this guy. Sorry, yeah. like I, I watched him in those Champions League games. I watched him in in, in the Primera Liga games, and honestly, oh, I couldn't understand why nobody else was saying this midfielder refuses to track runs. This yeah. midfielder has no defensive ability whatsoever. He's a train moving forward, and he was sensational to watch. He scored some lovely goals, but there were so many issues yeah, yeah. in his game that were completely glossed over because of the the admittedly wonderful story that he you know it's a hard luck story initially and he, he had to like walk to training and things like that he's yeah. done phenomenally well to get there but in the light of one of those glowing stories people tend to just like overlook all the rest mm. of it people went too overboard on Renato okay. Sanchez and you can advance Twitter search me on that so I said that three years ago right. I can't be bothered but I want Jao Felix no problem we've got roulette and nonsense coming up shortly don't go away it's that time you've been waiting for it's Bleacher Roulette Sam Let's get going. All right. Whose career would you rather have had, Aguero or Suarez? Ooh, good question. Good question. You can start, Sam. I'm going to go Luis Suarez. Oh, you uh, like biting people. going to go Luis Suarez. Oh, I forgot about that bit. Mm. Um, no, still going Luis Suarez. Don't mind. I, I think you don't have to make the same decisions as he did. No, that's very true. I think... 
playing with Messi would be pretty decent. Playing with Messi for a long time would be pretty decent. Play um, with Messi. Okay, yeah. My concern for Aguero would be that the memories with Messi are unhappy ones. Okay, yeah. Because uh, any Argentine national team feat over the last 10 or 15 years has basically not been a, not been a happy one. <laughs> so I would rather remove that and be the plucky Uruguayan underdog with Suarez, who led his nation to incredible heights. And by that, I mean like the semi-finals and yeah, stuff like cool. that. Um, I'd go with that. Yep. Dino, I think you're going to disagree. Yeah, I'm going to disagree. I don't particularly like Luis Suarez, his character or... Yeah, but it's not about career, you being Luis Suarez, it's his career. Yeah. No, I choose Aguero. <laughs> mainly because of the commentary he got for that goal when he um, scored uh, for Manchester City, where the commentator just screamed his name for a long time. It wouldn't sound the same with Jones. Uh, <laughs> 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 I'd love to hear my name shouted out in a moment like that that wins the league title. So, um, yeah, that moment alone um, was good for me, winning the Premier League. Um, but also, you know, he's gone on to set goal records, um, at Manchester City and I just think for me the last few years as well like he has been he's such a baller the best striker around yeah. like consistently for for a long time now um, so I mean I'm not putting Messi and Riado in that conversation by the way but yeah I'm going all day long Aguero um, I'm with Sam uh, Luis Suarez uh, mostly because you get to play for Ajax at some point in your career, which is basically it really, isn't it now? He's a uh, nice few clubs. Playing for, yeah. He's got a really good trajectory of clubs. Yeah. Uh, and I, I think that's cool. Even, you know, I'd the like Groningen days. Historic clubs in the world, I Groningen guess. days, having a great time, obviously. And then Ajax and, and Liverpool and, and Barcelona. I think that that's a cool trajectory. It's a good ladder, isn't it? Where does actually? he end that, though? Where does he end it? And one the Uruguayans club. are fun. One more club. Where's he go? He's going to go one more. I, I don't know. I think he might go back to Uruguay. Yeah, he's got to go Have a nice time there. Right. You need an alibi. Which footballer are you going to to cover for you? This is a great question. Oh, no. You need an alibi. I think... I think I go to Bernardo Silva. Mm. This is it. Because I think Bernardo would just do what I told him to do. I think if I asked him nicely enough, I reckon he's a nice enough geezer that he would... You can take this two ways. If you went to Juan Mata, I reckon he'd dob you in. Because he's just too nice. Whereas I reckon if you went Bernardo, he's nice enough to it's like nicer to his pals than he is to, to you know to the random to, to anyone else. So I reckon if I asked him really nicely, Bernardo would cover me, and everyone is believing Bernardo when you says this. You just go, yeah, fair enough, absolutely right. Mm-hmm. So there's my one. Uh, I would go um, for Mario Balotelli. Oh, uh, I think he'd come up with an absolutely outrageous story that would be beyond belief for anybody except Balotelli, and. People would just go, yeah, all right, sounds good. So he could make up anything. Like, yeah, no, we were out fishing for sharks in like in a in a fishing boat off the coast of Tahiti yesterday, and now we're back. And people will go, Yeah, cool, okay. Yeah, Fair sounds enough. reasonable. Enough, yeah. With Balotelli, sounds reasonable. Dino? Um, I go for Mo Salah. Um he is very good at deceiving people. Um, <laughs> um no <laughs> nobody ever thinks that he's done anything wrong. Um so yeah, Mo Salah, the man who can do nothing wrong. He can do no wrong. Excellent. Have you ever needed an alibi? Not for anything obviously serious. Um, so, for example... My uh, lawyer has advised that I do not answer this question. No, but like, so there's some weird... We're talking of unbelievable stories. One of the things that happened to me at university when I was playing... I was meant to be playing football on a Sunday morning, and I had a dream that I got a text saying football is cancelled. So I woke up and didn't go to football, and I was just walking around my house, and I got a call being like, where are you? And I was like... 
football's cancelled. And they were like, no, it's not. And I was like, <laughs> I swear in my life, I had this dream that football was cancelled and my captain was absolutely fuming, got dropped from the squad for like three weeks. And I was like, Fair I enough. swear in my life, this is too weird for me to make it up. Like, I didn't, it was such a weird yeah. alibi, but yeah, the day was. Weird. Which game-worn jersey from history would you most like to own? Ooh, good question. I'm going to jump straight in. I don't want any game-worn jerseys because I bet they stink. Like, you wouldn't want to... I don't know. I just... You know when you swap shirts at the end of a game? Yeah. Players, that must be disgusting. Seriously. The amount of sweat those guys get through, the amount of calories they lose. No. They don't want. You don't want to wash it because it's got that authenticity. And you know when, like, players chuck their shirts into the crowd at kids? Like... They are like wet through, drenched and stinking. I always think it's like, you've caught that and you look happy, but give give that a whiff. It wasn't that smelly. I remember up. people wearing them on the way home from games last season. Uh, on the way home from Barnsley Way, someone got Thomas Callas's shirt, for example. Yeah. Uh, it was Fulham player at the time. And he wore it all the way home. It was George Roster. Listen to this podcast. Shouts out, George. <laughs> um, and it wasn't that smelly. Well, clearly, Thomas Callas isn't doing enough running. <laughs> we didn't have that much defending to and do, actually, to be fair. thinking about your point, I'm going to pick somebody... Actually, I was going to say Virgil van Dijk because he sprays aftershave on his shirt. Yeah. But, um, Goalkeeper. Messi doesn't really sweat. Does he not? He no. He doesn't run much. There's a lot of reasons why you would run. want a Messi game one shirt. It's not going to smell because he doesn't have to do much running because he can just walk through past everyone's defence. Yeah. And also, that shirt's going to be worth the most amount of money. It doesn't matter if it's a shirt he wore against A-bar. It's yeah. going to be worth loads of money. So, um, obviously, as we know from past episodes of this podcast... I want something that's worth a lot of money. <laughs> Eventually, I'll sell it and use it to live off when I'm 60 years old, which is only a few years away. So um, I would like to wear... I you went through 60 last year. I'd like yeah. to own you any Fernandinho. messy shirt. Yeah. Any messy shirt. Do you not want anything? I, I, re- I refuse to accept any match-worn shirts. Okay. I'd like Robbie Brady's match-worn shirt from Ireland playing Italy in Euro 2016. You could probably have it. It'd probably let you have it. Yeah. So if you're listening, Robbie, just send way, it over. B-I-H-Q. My pet hates pet hate kids sitting in the stand yeah. with a huge banner saying david de Gea, can please can i have your shirt yeah. so and so if I you are shirt? a parent of that child stop it stop. begging yeah <laughs> it's really stop. weird stop. I, I'm Kick a, begging I'm, out of football i'm actually um i'm actually not that angered by that what annoys me is when kids and parents then go we 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 put this nice sign for you we shouted at you all and you didn't even give us your shirt that's the bit that annoys me i saw a thing at brighton arsenal last year where people in the brighton end had a sign saying urzel can i have your shirt and i was like if i saw that i'd be thrown take the child take the child's sign and i'm quite a pleasant and and soft like the spoken person (laughs) but i wouldn't be absolutely having none of that that's one right That's the nonsense siren. (laughs) We've gone budget, have we? Goodness me. Okay, well, your intro was Game of Thrones themed. Uh, My nonsense is Game of Thrones themed. So, Dean... Sorry. Sorry in advance. Sorry again. Um, I've asked the question, who would win in a Game of Thrones factions five-a-side tournament and come up with my top three contenders? Before we begin, honourable mention to House Greyjoy. Uh, there's a nice parallel there with the Icelandic national team. Robust northern side with salted water in their veins. I think they'd put up a good fight. But <laughs> into number three is House Stark. Yep. Uh, durable side. They travel well. They travel far. And they can play in the very worst of conditions. The snowier, the colder, the better. I can see... They're like Shaq de <laughs> I can see Bran deployed in a creative role. He's got great vision. Sees things that others don't, literally. And Arya could change her face and appearance to look like an opponent. Steal the ball 
and run off and score. The drawback is the level of honesty. Uh, at the top level, you've got to be prepared to con the referee or pull, pull, the, pull, the, pull the wool over their eyes. And I think the Starks would be too honest. They'd admit they dived for a free kick when they should have kept quiet, and that could be their downfall. They do have the resources to win this tournament as long as they keep their heads. Good. Very good. Into number two is the Knight's Watch. Uh, Which one is John playing for? We'll get to that in a moment. Into the Night's Watch. Always dangerous when you're up against a team with absolutely nothing to lose. And <laughs> those on the Night's Watch, for Dean's purposes, have surrendered any titles, houses and affiliations. They have absolutely... I should point out, by the way, anyone saying why Dean's purpose, I've seen four episodes of Game of Thrones okay. and had to um, give up. So they've got absolutely nothing to lose. They've also managed to preside over a pretty good defensive wall for the last 8,000 <laughs> years. Uh, and you trust them to be able to set up defensively and be very tough to break down. I anticipate Samuel Tarly in a kind of... Not athletic role, more of a, I don't know, he, he turns the pages of the history books and unearths some kind of tactical tweak that allows them to come into, uh, that arrive in the final against all the odds. Charlie he Adam. Pour through, <laughs> he would pour through those history books and find a nugget from before. Into number one is House Lannister. Uh, this one is quite simple. With the mountain in goal, he'd literally fill it and you'd go nowhere near him. Tyrion and Tywin dovetailing, finally working as a tandem as master tacticians. Jamie doing bits up front. And if all else fails, Cersei match-fixing the entire lot. They have the Iron Bank at their disposal, which essentially makes them PSG, so they could just buy success. Well, that hasn't worked. <laughs> we'll see. Uh, no elephants, though. No elephants, no dragons, no wolves allowed on the pitch. They scuff it up too much. Which brings us on to Jon Snow. Who gets Jon Snow? He is essentially decked and Rice in this scenario he has an identity or nationalistic crisis <laughs> I don't know exactly where he'd go I think he'd probably end up with the Starks just about just about I mean just obviously they're finishing higher the Targaryens are not involved in this tournament or at least they're not in the top three so that removes that from the equation I think I'm going to give him to Hal Stark but again he's the most honest of the lot so it doesn't exactly take away the drawbacks that I've brought up. No. Right, that was very, very good. That was very well good, done, mate. Well done. Um, that's us all wrapped up for this week. And all that is left for me to do is say thank you too much to these two lieutenants. To Dean Jones. Cheers, mate. To Sam Ty. Thank you. I've been Jack Collins. Remember to get involved in all things pod using the hashtag BeatOurFootballRanks. Get the three of us on Instagram, on Twitter. Get involved with sending in questions for hot takes and roulette. Make sure you vote on the poll, which goes up every Monday on the BR Football account. If you have already also make sure you download the br app for the best sports and culture content also you can listen to us on it and we're going to have some exclusive rank squad bits in there in the very near future please keep sharing the pod please keep telling your friends please keep giving us ratings and reviews on itunes it matters so much to us it's been real peace and love see you next week